Hello, and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, or former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her particular occupation. Hello, in this episode, we're going to talk about what you should do if you're fired from your job. And if we have some time, we're going to talk about human resources. And my question with respect to human resources is friend or foe? But today we have as our guest, Kelly Malloy Myers. She's my boss at Freaking Myers and Roll. She is the managing partner of the law firm, and she is the immediate past president of the Cincinnati Bar Association and a member of the Board of Trustees. So, Kelly, I think you've got a lot of experience in this area. Let's talk about people that suddenly lose their job or even if they have some advance warning, but they're out of work. What, what do you think they should do? What are some of the th- their first thoughts? Well, I think the first thought that they should have, and by the way, hello, Randy, good to see you. You're a very good employee. I would never fire you. Oh, thank you, Kelly. (laughs) So the first thing I think an employee should do when they find themselves in a position where they're terminated is um, file for unemployment. Every employee who has been terminated should apply for unemployment benefits. In the state of Ohio, you're eligible for unemployment benefits unless the employer can prove that they had a good, valid reason to terminate your employment. So do that. I also think you need to make sure you understand or ask the basis for the termination. The employer may not give you anything in writing, uh, but they should at least give you some idea of why you were terminated. Can you, can you wait around and, you know, dilly-dally and not file for unemployment and collect ret- retroactively? Well, you can wait to file for unemployment, but you cannot collect retroactively. So if you wait four or five weeks to apply for unemployment, you won't get those four or five weeks that you missed, but you'll still go forward for up to the maximum allowed if you remain unemployed during that period. Um, Usually, it's a maximum of 26 weeks, although there have been extensions in times of high unemployment. Okay, so what else should they do? That sounds like the first thing they ought to do. Let's, and how do they do that? So in Ohio, it's online. You can uh, go online and apply on your computer. There's also a telephone number that you can call. Um, I think it's easier if you have a, com- a computer and can get online to do it that way. And how do they find the website? They just Google like unemployment compensation Ohio and it'll pop up, something like that. Right. And it's the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services? I, yes, the Ohio the... Department of Job and Family Services. And make sure that you're going to a .gov 
entity. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a kind of a big believer in taking things step at a time. So, okay, the first step, if you lose your job, is file for unemployment compensation. What are some other ideas after you uh, lose a job? Well, I think you've got to decide whether or not uh, you believe that there's a problem with your termination. And even if there's not a problem, you still might want to reach out to an attorney. Oftentimes what we what attorneys will do is review the situation and see if there's any potential claims there that we should evaluate. But sometimes it's just trying to clean up your employment record, talking to the employer, making sure that we get uh, an understanding of what they're going to tell your future uh, employers, make sure that they're not going to say uh, anything bad about your separation. People often think that an employer can't give you a negative reference, and that's just not true. Uh, the only laws that apply to employment references are defamation and slander laws. So an employer can say, yes, that employee was fired and they're not eligible for rehire. Uh, that person, we weren't happy with their performance. Any, anything like that that might make it harder for you to find a job. So oftentimes it's pretty easy to reach an agreement with the former employer for what we call a neutral reference, where the employer agrees that they just won't release any information other than confirmation of dates of employment, position held, that kind of thing. And oftentimes if there's a dispute over the unemployment, we can work that out too. Get an agreement that they're not going to actively contest or oppose the claim for unemployment benefits, particularly if it's a termination where it was just a bad fit mm -hmm. or there was a personality conflict with the boss, something like that. So you mentioned earlier about unemployment. As long as the employer doesn't have a good valid reason you can get unemployment. What what does that mean, a good valid reason? Is it just, let's say uh, somebody just uh, is responsible for typing and they make typographical errors or they're just not a very good typist. Is that good enough, just kind of unsatisfactory work performance? Does that normally preclude somebody from unemployment compensation? No, just kind of general unsatisfactory work performance should not preclude someone from unemployment. If the employee has been warned, if they've been given an opportunity to improve and there continue to be errors, then the state may decide that the performance deficiencies rise to the level of just cause. But it's really kind of a fact-by-fact -fact inquiry. So even if you think that maybe, you know, maybe there was some basis, you did make a mistake, that doesn't mean you're mm -hmm. not eligible for unemployment benefits. And who makes the decision? Does the employer decide whether or not uh, you get unemployment compensation? No, it's not the employer's decision. It's the job and family services. It's the state's decision as to whether the employee receives unemployment benefits. Now, the employer can provide information or decide to provide minimal information. So they can, they can what I say, actively oppose or they can just provide the information that they have to, have to respond to. And uh, do do employees or former employees have appeal rights if Job and Family Services denies their claim? Yes, absolutely. There is an appeal process. The thing that you need to be aware of is those deadlines are strict. So if your unemployment application is denied, you'll be given in the opinion or the decision a deadline to appeal. You have to appeal by that deadline. It, it can be just as simple as I disagree with the decision and I'm appealing because I wasn't terminated with just cause. There are a couple of paper appeals and then there will be a hearing 
It's held in Ohio by telephone. It's in front of a hearing officer who will ask you some questions about why you were separated, if you got warning, um, how other people were treated, and also the employer then would be asked questions about the termination and what the basis was. Okay, we have a lot of listeners in the uh, Commonwealth of Kentucky. Are the procedures basically the same in Kentucky? Yes, the procedures are basically the same in Kentucky as well. Now, what about a job search? Uh, Any particular recommendations with respect to, uh, for example, how high employees set their sights, where they can go? Is there assistance out there to help people find jobs? Things like that. Yes, there's a lot of assistance out there. Some, some of it, a lot of it's free online. Uh, there are often um, faith-based organizations that have services that provide job search help. There are paid services that provide um, assistance with writing your resume. I think that's important if you've been somewhere for a long time. If you haven't been in the job market for 20 or 25 years, I think it makes sense to perhaps talk to a professional about getting your resume updated and getting some tips on how to apply. Things have changed in the past 20 or 25 years. A lot of applications are online. But I think networking is still probably the most important part of job search. You know, talk to people that you know, uh, talk to people that your neighbors, talk to the people at church, let them know that you're looking for a new opportunity so that friends and family know that you're in the job market. Um, Because if you go and put an application in where you've got somebody who can say, hey, I recommend this person, they're a really good person, that, that gets you at least in the door where you can have an interview and sell yourself. So I think you asked about where should people look. I think people should you know, be pretty broad. They don't have to look for certainly every position that's open and posted. You want to look for jobs that you're qualified for and that you're interested in. But, you know, it's an opportunity sometimes to have a second act or do something different. So I think be open-minded in your job search. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly, you know, you don't have to take a job that you have absolutely no interest or qualification in or apply for a job like that. You know, you mentioned resumes. Uh, You know, what about the person who's maybe 50 or 60 years old, is a little bit fearful of possible age discrimination and hiring decisions? Give me particular advice with respect to resumes and how those should be constructed. Yes. So resumes are your marketing tool. And you may have more than one resume that you use depending on the job that you're applying for. So you should target your resumes for the position that you're applying for, and there shouldn't be anything on your resume that screams what your age is if you're in your 50s, 60s. So you shouldn't have dates of graduation from high school or college graduation dates on your resume. And you probably want to just focus on your past 20 years or so of experience and not your whole 40-year career. Focus on the most um, recent employment Because you don't want, I think there is certainly an age bias in the job uh, market. So you don't want to be screened by whoever's doing an initial screen of resumes because they see that, oh, this person must be 60s and file it in the circular file. Yeah, if they have a 55-year-old applicant, they've got a 35-year-old applicant that that they can figure out from the resume. Right. Probably more likely to call the 35-year-old before they call the 55-year-old. A lot of companies, yes, absolutely. 
So you don't want your resume to screen you out before you have an opportunity to sell yourself and your experience and your knowledge and your skills. Yeah, you know, I, I always kind of laughed um, when I, not not laughed in a bad way, but uh, I've often seen res- resumes, I think people feel obligated to tell their entire life story, that they see their uh, resume often, uh, often as a biography. Yeah. You know, they go back and, you know, somebody will come in in 2020 and They've got a job listed on there that they did right out of high school in 1980. Right, exactly. You're saying no reason to do that. Don't do that. If No. I mean, you shouldn't have your high school uh, ice cream job on your resume when you're 50 years old. Take it off. It's your marketing tool. You do not have to put everything on there that you've ever done. Okay, so we had a prior episode that dealt with the subject of severance agreements. What should people do if they receive severance, and what do you think is... Fair severance. Are there any guidelines? So if you get a severance package from your employer, I always think it is a good idea to have it reviewed by an attorney who practices in employment law. Um, Sometimes, even if you're okay with the amount and you think that it's a fair severance, and I will get to that question in just one second, that part of your question, um, there are often terms that are important to try to negotiate. For example, we were talking about unemployment. If there's simply some language in the... um, in the severance agreement, allocating the severance to the last day of employment, you can go ahead and collect unemployment while you're also getting your severance. So that's important and could have some real value. Otherwise, not true. Otherwise, not true. You can't double dip normally in Ohio. Normally in Ohio, you can't double dip. But the state will defer to whatever allocation the parties make. So if there's just simply language in there saying, this severance is allocated to the employee's last day of employment, you get your severance and you can start getting your unemployment benefits immediately. And that's something that you can negotiate with the employer. Right. And that's usually pretty easy to negotiate. Okay. Are there other non-monetary things that are that people can negotiate in a severance agreement, even if, even if it looks just like a standard boilerplate severance agreement? Yes, absolutely. So we want to negotiate reference, what they're going to tell the outside world with respect to the separation, make sure that they're going to just... Uh, provide at least neutral, if not a positive reference. Sometimes you can even get something a little neutral plus. Um, But generally, as long as they agree that they're not going to provide any information outside of confirmation of your employment, that's good and you can move on with your job search. Other terms are like um, oftentimes the non-disparagement clauses in a a severance agreement are overly broad and one-sided. So we want to take a look at those. if there's any kind of non-compete terms in a severance agreement, you definitely want to take a look at those and try to negotiate those uh, down so that you have an opportunity to find work and you're not uh, you're not going to be sued uh, for taking a job that might be competitive of your previous job. So there are a lot of terms in a severance agreement that um, are worth looking at and worth having reviewed. Now, with you asked me about what is a reasonable severance. You know, if if you do not think that you were terminated because of a protected class, and I know you've talked about this in previous episodes, if you're not concerned that there was a discrimination or retaliation at play, I think a rule of thumb that is often looked at is one to two weeks, maybe sometimes in higher level positions, up to four weeks of severance per year of service. If you haven't been there very long, sometimes we can look at, um, it takes about a month per $25,000 of salary. 
um, in a regular <laughs> yeah, job market. To not find quite a regular employment. market as yeah. we tape this uh, podcast. Right. So um, oftentimes I try to look at how long the person might be able, might take to find a comparable job and try to find some, and try to negotiate some severance that puts them in a position where they've got the uh, ability to look for a job and they've got some time to do that. And so sometimes they can do this on their own and sometimes they need a lawyer. Right. Right. Sometimes employers or employees can go back to their employer and say, hey, I don't, I don't understand this term. I think I've been here 20 years. You know, I think eight weeks of severance isn't enough and try to negotiate on their own. So why in the world are we giving them this advice on this podcast? That might put us out of business if they don't call lawyers. Well, I, I think there's enough enough issues going around that we're not go, go, going to go out of business. But um, I do think that we definitely provide some value add for people. But yeah, if it's an easy situation and you think that the severance is fair and you're not, and you know, you think that the terms are fair, then yeah, you can certainly. Try to go to your employer and see if you can get the terms that you're concerned about negotiated. And if that fails, then you can take a next step. Right. So let's talk about the next step. What if somebody thinks that their uh, termination or separation or layoff was unfair? Should they come and talk to a lawyer? Yeah, I don't think that it hurts because oftentimes the employee, if, if they feel like it doesn't feel right, they were blindsided, they didn't think that what they did... Um, really justified the decision. Yes, I think definitely a lawyer can help them kind of talk through the issues, look at what potential options there are, and we help them kind of crystallize in their mind, well, you know, how were other other employees treated? And look to see if there's any patterns that maybe, you know, if you were fired because you were late five times, but you'd also been on FMLA leave and... Mm -hmm. uh, there were some problems. Your employer was getting a little aggravated with you for being out, but your other coworkers who hadn't taken FMLA leave were late about the same amount of time, and they weren't terminated. That raises some questions about whether there's whether there's an, a claim there. Yeah, you know, I used to take a page out of O.J. Simpson's lawyer's uh, playbook, Johnny Cochran. He said, <laughs> "If the glove does not fit, you must acquit." Yep. And I used to say, "If it seems unfair, there might be something there." Right. Do a lot of people come into the office and say, I know I've been discriminated against on account of my age or my sex or my race, or is it more that they walk in and say, this just doesn't feel right? There's definitely a mix. I mean, I think some people clearly are aware that they're being treated differently because of their age or their race or their gender. But there's a lot of people that it just it doesn't sit well. It doesn't. It doesn't feel right to them. Mm -hmm. And um, when you really start talking about it and asking them about, well, how were your coworkers treated? Have you? Did you get a new boss recently? Had you had time off recently? Did you request accommodation for any kind of disability recently? Then it, you know, it starts dawning on people that, oh yeah, that I, I knew it didn't feel right, but yeah, that that exactly is what happened. Right. Do you need evidence? You know, if if you think you're uh, you were terminated unfairly. You need evidence like age comments if you're older to prove age discrimination or sexist comments or racist comments necessarily to show either age, sex, or race discrimination? 
No, not necessarily. Obviously, that helps. And clearly, right. if your boss is making a bunch of sexist comments at you, you have a good idea that you might have been treated poorly because of your gender. But um, oftentimes, there isn't direct evidence of discrimination. It's more subtle, and it's it's more what we call disparate treatment, that other people, your peers in different classes are treated better than you. And you may not know that because you don't, particularly larger corporations, you may not have access to um, how other people were treated. You know if they got fired or not, but you don't know, mm -hmm. you may not know whether or not they had um, missed their productivity goals or missed, uh, missed something in their performance evaluation. So no, you don't have to have uh, overwhelming direct evidence of discrimination to come to seek advice. So how does that process start? You know, first of all, how do people find lawyers, employment lawyers? Well, I think people find, these days, find employment lawyers through the internet. But I also think that a lot of people find lawyers through their friends and their families, you know, talking to people. If you've, if you've worked with another lawyer, say a you had a divorce and you worked with that lawyer. They asked them, hey, I've got this issue. And, and lawyers can recommend somebody who practices in that area. Um, people in HR, if you've got a neighbor in HR, right. they're often <laughs> the ones that know who the employment lawyers are, know who the good employment lawyers are, and can recommend somebody. Um, there's an organization called the National Employment Lawyers Association. They have a find a lawyer feature online. It's neela.org. And you can search by state and city for a lawyer in your area who practices employment law. And what's the process? Is it a simple phone call? Can If somebody calls you and says, Kelly, I think I've been treated unfairly, do you try to handle it over the phone? Or is more information needed? No. I, well, I like more information. We'll, we'll talk to them, get some information about where they worked, uh, what happened, how long they were there. We'll, we send out a questionnaire where we gather some information about who their coworkers were, what was going on, if they know of any uh, anybody who was treated differently. And then in the normal world, I like to have them in for a meeting face-to-face. -face. We spend about an hour, and we go over the facts and go over the potential options and next steps. And next steps, we don't go from that initial meeting to filing a lawsuit. Yeah, I would think a lot of people think that they come see a lawyer, they're coming in to see if they have the ability to file a lawsuit. Do you make that judgment based on an hour or two-hour meeting? No, we all, I always make it a practice to do what I call an investigation stage. We try to reach out to the employer, gather some information, get the employer's position find out what the articulated reason for the termination is. Um, another thing that's really important is we've got to let some time pass. Uh, employees have a duty to mitigate their damages. So what that means is look for work and accept reasonable employment. And that's important to determine what the damages are. If we can prove that there was discrimination, what's it worth? How much are the potential damages? Mm -hmm. So no, we're not talking about you come in and we're filing a lawsuit the next day. We do due diligence. We let you um, see how your job search plays out. We reach out to the employer, gather some information. There's a, oftentimes, if it's a claim that falls within the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's purview, such as a 
gender, race, religion, national origin, color, age, disability claim. We file what's called a charge of discrimination with that agency. We have to let them take a look at it before we can file a federal lawsuit. You're not going to immediately be committed to filing a lawsuit. Right. In in your experience, uh, let's say you have, you talk to a hundred people and a hundred people come in just roughly, I'm, I'm not asking for anything exact, out of 100 people that you talk to, meet with, how many of those folks do you think end up actually in a lawsuit? I'd say probably about a third. Okay. Actually end up in a lawsuit. So um, it's more likely than not that you're not going to end up in a lawsuit if right. you call a lawyer to explore your termination situation. Right. Sometimes it's just we're providing advice. That day, we take a look at If they got a severance agreement, we review that. We give them some things to consider, give them some terms that they might want to think about, and and that's the end of it. They've gotten the advice, and they and they are able to finalize the agreement. Um, Sometimes it's just trying to improve the severance offer that's on the table. Sometimes it's just trying to get something negotiated for them. So yeah, it's um, it's not. You're not committing yourself to a lawsuit just because you seek advice. And then as part of that investigation phase, like a negotiation process with the employer? Yes. Yeah, so we're trying, what we're doing in what I call the investigation stage is gathering information to evaluate the claims so you can make a better educated decision about what potential claims they are. And we don't know what we'll know in discovery, but we'll, we'll gather some information about what potential claims are, and we can give you some advice as to whether you've got enough there that may make sense to file a lawsuit. Um, But the other thing we're also trying to do is seeing if there's a possibility to resolve it outside of litigation. And a lot of cases are resolved before you ever file a complaint. Now, how long does this process take? I mean, if if I come down to see Kelly Myers and Kelly Myers says, yes, I'm willing to represent you, how long am I going to be stuck dealing with this? It's because it's stressful, I would think, uh, being in any kind of investigation or you're making a claim against your former employer. How long am I stuck living with this? It is stressful um, and it varies. You know, if we're just trying to get you a better severance, get some turns cleaned up, we can do that pretty quickly. Quickly in a lawyer's mind is what, a month? <laughs> yeah, I'd say we within a couple of weeks. <laughs> Sometimes a month. But if it's going through an an EEOC process, that takes a little longer. Then you're probably looking at four or five, six months. Um, But litigation is certainly longer than that. So it it runs the gamut. Sometimes things can be resolved pretty quickly. If it's just trying to get them to uh, give you a reference, not fight your unemployment, we can negotiate that pretty quickly. But if there are significant concerns that you were fired because you're 60 and they kept a bunch of 30-year-olds, that can take longer. And, and it varies by employer, too. Some employers, um, you know, know the uh, know the drill and know what they're looking at and are more willing to uh, consider the options. And you've probably dealt with a lot of these employers, right? So if somebody comes in from Kroger, for example, you might know how Kroger's likely to respond or Procter and Gamble or General Electric or Cincinnati Bell. Right. I mean we know we know in in the city how at least a lot of the larger employers may react to 
potential claims that we come to them with. Now, how long have you been doing this? Uh, I, I forgot to brag about you too much <laughs> in the introduction. I know I said you were the managing partner and you were president of the Cincinnati Bar Association. We used to call you Queen Kelly and all of that. <laughs> But how long have you been representing employees uh, in these kind of investigations and negotiations? So I have been representing employees since 1996. Holy cow. I know. It's crazy since I'm only 35 years old, but I'm not sure That's how that right. happened. Well, you're a smart kid, I yeah, guess. I was a, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you say you're going to contact the employer and get some information. Are they obligated to respond to you? No, the employer doesn't have to respond, but much more often than not, they will. Because, you know. Why would they? I mean, I don't, I don't get it. Well, if they. They're not in court. They're not obligated to respond to your silly request for documents and information and things like that. No, but if they don't, then they know that it's, it may just escalate. If, if all I know is what my client is telling me and I don't have the employer's response or rebuttal, then. You know, I'm certainly going to go to the next step or keep looking. So if the employer doesn't respond, they don't have to, but then they're likely looking at at least a, a charge that they're going to, and they have to respond to that. And who usually responds on behalf of the employer, you know, or who do you write the letter to? Do you just write it to the supervisor or HR or the company president? Who gets that fine uh, gift from you? Well, my very um, lovely letter that I'm sure they're excited to receive. It, it depends. It if I know if I know the company and I've worked with them before and I know who their attorney is, I'll go to their attorney. If not, um, you know, I may go to the. Uh, I may write it if it's a smaller company. I may write it to the owner. Um, if there's if we know who the a general counsel is, I'll write it to them. If I if there's a human resources vice president, it may go to them. So it it depends. But it can be any one of those people. And human resources, we mentioned in the intro, uh, friend or foe. Uh, and we had a previous episode, uh, I think it was number three, about the rights of current employees. And you spoke even then about sometimes a current employee should come in to see a lawyer. Is that correct? Yes. And let's talk a little bit about human resources. Are they friend or foe to the employee? So human resources is not there to protect the employee. Human resources is there to protect the companies. Um, and a good human resources person will, if they're made aware of a potential problem, will conduct an investigation, will make sure that there aren't any problems. But they're not doing that to protect the employee. They're doing that to protect the employer from potential liability. So, yeah, off, you, you should go to human resources if if you're being sexually harassed, and you, you, you should report it to HR. But you also need to keep track of what you've said, keep documentation of who you talked to, when you talked to them, what was said. It's always good to follow it up in writing if there was a verbal communication that you've made to HR. So I think human resources people are trained. They are, you know, they should be trained in, in larger corporations, although sometimes um, Smaller companies don't really have much of a human resources department. But in larger companies, HR is trained. Uh, they've got education on the Family Medical Leave Act, on the Americans with Disabilities Act, and they're trained to look for potential problems. But 
um, you definitely want to make sure that you're documenting any conversations you have. So HR, I mean, let's say somebody's reluctant to call a lawyer, and I and I understand that. You know, I'm reluctant yeah. to call a lawyer myself. I think you know, I don't really necessarily want to get bogged down in some legal dispute, but. So what about the idea of an employee who thinks they were treated unfairly just reaching out to human resources on their own? Would Is that typically beneficial, you think? I think if you're still there and you haven't been fired, but you've got some concerns that your supervisor has it out for you, that they, that they have a problem with you and they're treating you poorly, yes, I think you should go to HR. Um, if you've already been terminated, Yes, you can go to HR and question the termination. If there's a pattern of something going on, if there's a pattern of sex harassment, sometimes companies learn about it in exit interviews Mm -hmm. once an employee has left. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is some value in letting human resources know that you think that you were terminated because of your age or because of your gender. I don't know that after you've been terminated, human resources is going to do a whole lot about it. For you, they may look internally. They may see if there's um, a problem where they need to take some disciplinary action against an employee who's there. But it's pretty rare that you'd be reinstated or offered your job back at that point just because you went to human resources. So what kind of – so, yeah, I would think it's unlikely human resources is going to do anything for a terminated employee that's – of any significance, right? Maybe right. the non-monetary things you talked about. Right. If they get a lawyer, that adds some leverage. It does add some leverage. I think a lot of companies take actions knowing that probably 90% of the employees are just going to move on and not challenge it and not question it. And sometimes they, I think they skate the line um, because they know that most people aren't going to get a lawyer and aren't going to question what happened to them. So you you really do sell yourself short, I think, sometimes. If you've got concerns that you were really treated unfairly um, or in a discriminatory manner, you should at least investigate. It might make it... uh, might make it better for the people that are there or the people coming up behind you and as well. Yeah, so what's this going to cost somebody? If they, if they think that somebody's, um, or if they think they've been treated unfairly in the job and they want to come in and meet with a heavyweight lawyer like Kelly Malloy Myers, is that going to cost them an arm and a leg to get your advice? I mean, you spend an hour or two and review their information. How much would you typically charge a prospective client for a consultation? For a consultation, it varies depending on, usually it's a sliding scale based on income level. So it, you know, we, it can vary from a couple hundred dollars. We can sit down. I'll spend an hour with you. We'll talk about options. I'll take a look at any documents that you have and we'll give you a plan of, a plan of advice or a roadmap for things to consider. Um, some oftentimes we'll do consultations and, and there won't be a fee. So it just varies depends depending on basically a sliding scale fee. It depends probably how complicated the situation seems when they call call you, I right. imagine. Right. Exactly. Uh, current employees are are tend to be um complicated because things are still happening. Um 
Well, they're all complicated at some point in time, but we really try to give you a roadmap. I really try to make sure that when you leave that consultation, you have a great idea of, well, do I have a claim here? What What's the value of pursuing it? Should I just move on? Or should I at least ask questions? Okay, Kelly Myers, anything else you can think about with respect to employees separated? You know, one idea is to kind of negotiate on their own if they just want modest improvements uh, and if they just think the termination was fair. I mean, I, I guess in some situations, employees think it was fair. And I think you're suggesting that when people are separated and they think it's unfair, it's probably a good idea to pick up the phone and call an employment lawyer. Right. If you... If you're blindsided by a termination or if you think that it was just completely unfair, you've been there 20 years, you got a new boss, and you're terminated three months later, yeah, I think it does make sense to pick up the phone and at least understand what your options are. You're not committing to three years of litigation. You're not committing to even um, even reaching out to the employer. You may decide, okay, I just want to move on. But I think it's good to know what your options are, what the pros and cons of pursuing your potential options are. You know, I think that the worst thing is somebody who's terminated and a year later, after some statutes of limitations have expired, they're still wondering why they didn't at least um, question what happened to them. Because it's it has a big impact on people's lives. Um, yeah, it's like a divorce, really. I mean, if you've been with an employer for a long time, it can be very, very emotional. It is very, very emotional. I think it's probably second only to domestic relations. It's very much like uh, you were dumped and there's feelings of um, hurt. There's oftentimes, you know, there's feelings of um, people start to question their, um, uh, really their self-worth. Oftentimes people's Self-worth is tied up in their employment, not to mention their livelihood, their insurance. That's something that we haven't talked about. Um, COBRA is really expensive for most people, particularly who have just lost their jobs. That's something we can often try to negotiate as well, that the company subsidize the COBRA payment, continue to pay the employer's share of the payment for for a period of time so that you have some insurance while you're looking for job for, for a job. Right. Uh, yeah, the topic of or the subject of closure seems particularly important to me. If you're stewing about your termination, it right. seems to me you ought to pick up the phone, $250 or $350 to just get some advice. It's almost like getting a quick schooling in employment law. <laughs> exactly. You know? And oftentimes, I mean, I, I want to make sure that people have their questions answered and feel like they know what their options are at the end of that hour. Sometimes it's a little more than an hour, but um, at the end of that time that they spend with me, and they, and oftentimes they do feel a sense of closure where they know, okay, I really got treated poorly, but I've got a, I've got another job I'm going to, I'm going to move on. But oftentimes, um, again, as we've talked about, there's ways to really kind of help you transition and make it easier for you to find your next job. Now, how about lower wage workers who cannot afford paying, uh, you know, two hundred fifty or three hundred fifty dollars for a consultation? Do you know anything about the Cincinnati Workers' Rights Project? 
I have heard of them. Yes, there are volunteer attorneys uh, in the area, and it was founded by uh, my former boss, who's now my employee. And your interviewer. And my interviewer, Randolph H. Freaking, um, who the Cincinnati uh, Workers' Rights Projects will help low-wage low workers in situations, give them some advice, try to give them some um Advice to move forward, try to negotiate maybe some severance and and talk about whether there are some options there. Yeah, that project does the same procedure you do, basically. Right. 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 So if they're, you know, if they're concerned about being able to pay a consultation fee or finding an attorney who will take on their case, then that's an option to go to as well. Okay. Kelly, I think we've covered the waterfront this morning. It's been a fun 40 minutes or so. Thank you for coming in today, and uh, I hope you get through this COVID period well, and uh, you keep doing justice. Thank you, Randy. We are always trying to, as John Lewis said, get into good trouble. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks, Kelly. Talk to you later. See ya. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Turkle that I find valuable. Quote, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than apathy, in short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying, unquote. Let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefit. See you next time on Freaking Out About Work And please spread the word if you have enjoyed this podcast. Tell your friends how easy it is to go to freakingoutabout.com. And freaking out about is all one word. Thank you, everyone.